Well, today I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Andrea Raybald. Hello. Hi, thank you for coming. Um, Andrea is a mother, executive director of Mirror Image Arts, coffee lover, and curiosity addict. I love that. I love, like, sometimes the bio is like thousands of words of, yeah. like, you know, this is what I do and this is how I do it, but nice and succinct. I love it. So my first question for you is, what was your first job? My first job was a choreographer, actually, a choreographer and dance teacher. Oh, um, I love it. All ages. I actually started off in dance, not theater. Theater is what I took on later in life, mm -hmm. like high school later on life. But um, as a dance teacher, I think I did that starting in eighth grade and ninth grade. And I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I just like, I was so grateful that the dance teacher that I've been working with forever was like, you know what you should do? You should do this with me and get paid. And I was like, okay. I love that and point. I learned a lot. Um, Cause I worked with um, age ranges from three all the way to, I think the oldest person I worked with was close to 80. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I learned a lot about ones, working though. with different generations i love yeah. the little ones yeah they were they were so cute but i would even also say like the women who were older who were still dancing i mean like i just found that like my heart connected with them too because mm -hmm. that's what i wanted i want to be that i want to still be dancing when i'm in my 80s i love it or like find dance at that time yes i always love it when like people find dance like later in life or yeah. you know they find their hobby or their yeah. like their thing later yeah in life. Yeah, but the cute, yes. Specifically when it came to recital time. Yeah. When we thought we knew our dances, but you know, like I'm on the wing, I'm over in the wing and they're just like trying to follow along. <laughs> trying to remember to point their toes. It was a fabulous time. That's so fun. A friend of mine just posted her daughter, who's like five, um, and dance. And like, she is just like, she's just they're doing her own it. thing. And I'm like, she is my kid. Yes. <laughs> and they don't know enough to be shy yet, you yeah, know, they or like, they just yeah, do the thing. they just, yeah. There's no wrong. Mm -hmm. It just gets to dance. It's mm -hmm. so fun. It's pretty freeing. Yeah. So how did you get into theater and the arts? So actually it was in high school. I mean, I did my first theater production in like seventh grade or something mm -hmm. like that, but it was a ridiculous one that I think the teacher wrote. He wasn't a playwright. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and, and just trying to like fit like the roles for all the kids that she had. So she just like wrote in a role of townspeople for every kid that they, she had. That's and so it was funny. like a little Christmas pageant player or something like that so I was in that and I think you know I had performance between dance and um that one little theater aspect I think I kind of loved the idea of theater but just had no way of integrating with mm -hmm. it until I got to high school and really I actually found theater because I was looking for my tribe I was looking for my people mm -hmm. in high school I don't know if you know this everyone but it's like a pretty rough time in trying yes. to find your community um so I was really struggling and I just found my community of people who we're a little bit misfit, a little bit crazy, a little bit fun, and a lot accepting of each other. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what started my love of theater. And then I just realized that theater was an outlet for some of the stuff that I was going through, some of the emotional stuff that I needed to get off and out it, mm -hmm. without needing to tell my story. I didn't mm -hmm. need to tell my story, but could I tell other people's story and emote that way and get through some of the stuff that's that was awesome. happening in my life? I like, I like that you say that, you know, we have to find our tribe because I just think about like, I probably played basketball much longer than I like wanted to because meant because that was like my people, like yeah. that was my friend group. So we just, I just played to hang out with them basically. Yeah. That's interesting. And I have a kid going into middle school, so got to find, help him find his tribe. Yeah. 
as people. Yeah. Oof. I send you lots of thoughts. <laughs> Thank you. Good thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> we work with them. I send you lots of good thoughts. Middle school, man. <laughs> yeah. That we, was all, pretty... we all remember middle school. <laughs> that was the precursor to high school. By that point, you were already like, I know that I don't fit in. Great. <laughs> no, and then you find your people. You do find your people. But I, you go through the that middle school stage where, I mean, you don't even know who you are yet. I know. You're just figuring it out. And then you're comparing yourself to everybody. It's just a nightmare. I know. I am not excited. <laughs> like, great. Human development. It sounds awesome. <sighs> lord um it's like elementary school makes like, sweet high school makes like, sweet and then middle school i'm just like oh, oh yeah. this is gonna be so hard but but they're kids an easy are kid, really though. resilient too you yeah. know he's like, a kid so yeah we'll see yeah so you also have a background in the corporate world so tell us about your role um there so you worked for starbucks for a little long time i did yeah that was actually my second job that i kept for a pretty long time i did a lot of different roles for them i mean i started out um in the store as mm -hmm. your barista mm -hmm. and that's kind of like where my Sorry, love of coffee came you did well i think a lot of people start there yeah um, it's a good college job that's yeah. where i started my daughter like is eight and she's like i'm gonna be already at Starbucks. <laughs> it's like on her list of 10 things I love that it's not even a barista. Sorry, micro coffee shops. Like, they're really trying, but like it's a barista at Starbucks. Yeah. It's still like. Well, it's funny because we don't even go to Starbucks that often. That but is when funny. When we do, she's like, Starbucks. Yeah. When I'm sure like all the marketing and stuff like that, yeah. you see that the smaller shops don't. She just loves it. Frappuccinos. Yeah. I mean, she's too. eight. <laughs> she just wants to make Frappuccinos for yeah, herself. I actually started right around the time that Frappuccinos launched, which is really weird to say. Um, but yeah, like I was just looking for a job um, in college just to kind of help me um, technically get out of debt mm -hmm. those early years of college are hard you're living you're like learning to live on your own yeah it was rough so I got a job at Starbucks um ended up loving the company it had great values had um at the time very simplistic uh ways of doing the business it has definitely grown and changed and transformed mm -hmm. over time and gotten very very complicated but at the time it was pretty simple so it was a really nice way of kind of getting my feet wet inside of business without feeling totally overwhelmed mm -hmm. by the business um so I just kept seeing leadership opportunities and kept moving up um, in roles inside of that organization and, um, literally like did everything from being a barista, which was frontline staff through, um, being their manager, mm -hmm. assistant store manager and store total store manager. Mm -hmm. And then I actually left the store to try to, um, take what I had learned and influence and implement on a much larger scale. Mm -hmm. So I actually, my last job before I left to go do this fully executive director, mm -hmm. um, fully was helping, um, three regional directors lead their businesses across. Uh, I think at the time we had five States altogether. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Um, so just really being, um, a coordinator for them, helping them manage and strategize their business. Um, and then I also kind of as a side thing, got an opportunity to do a little bit of people development, um, like, um, workshops and different things for, um, the district managers and managers, um, to help them influence their people in their business. So it was a really cool, it's a really cool gig. It gave me a lot of information that I've taken, um, with me, I think between theater and the study, I always call it the study of humanity. Mm -hmm. And then the, the business world that I got through Starbucks, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of things that happened for them, but, by and large, it was a pretty unique and excellent experience um, being able to grow up the chain like that, but also to get the incredible like development that they gave me, that they paid for. I would mm -hmm. take workshops. I would um, just the experience of managing. I mean, you learn a lot there, but I would get to take like all these different workshops. So it really influenced the kind of leader that I have become. And I think sometimes I don't know what sets me apart mm -hmm. until I start talking with others 
um, that have helped me identify like those are pieces that you picked up from Starbucks. Those are not things that you learn at every business along the way. Right. Um, Especially in the nonprofit sector. Oh, gosh. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you told me so when we first talked, Mm -hmm. you told me the story of how you got involved with Mirror Image Arts and ultimately became the director. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. So because of my theater background, I actually was doing way more in the acting world. I Mm -hmm. wasn't in like the administration part of Mm -hmm. um, the theater business. I didn't even really learn about that. I was literally just going to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, like, that's a pretty cool gig, but it's it's a hard gig. Mm -hmm. Um, So at the time I had just moved to Denver and I was just looking for a way to start acting again. Yeah, Yeah. Um, because I had about I had like taken about a year off. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted to get to acting again. I came here. The first audition that I saw was for this organization called Mirror Image Arts, and they were taking a play that they were um, touring around eating disorders Mm -hmm. and they wanted actors to come and audition for them so I think I was in town for a week when I (laughs) went to this audition and I got this role and I was so excited and had zero clue where we were gonna end up (laughs) zero clue like you know when you say yes to something sometimes and you just like like that's it it's just yes but you didn't know that it was going to change the rest of your life's trajectory right that's what Miriam Jarts has done for me that's really crazy so tell us how you ended up as director. Yeah. So, um, the founder of the organization, uh, Aaron, a fabulous, fabulous woman, um, just really, really inspirational and visionary. Mm-hmm. Um, she had her own history of eating disorders mm-hmm. and she had created this organization knowing that in her healing process, that theater had been such a significant contributor to mm-hmm. feeling at one with her body, at one with herself. Um, and she wanted to do something. She wanted to be, something more than the disease that had controlled her Mm -hmm. um, for a really long time. So she took her love of theater and the value that it brought to her life and then took all the stories that she had with her eating disorder and also going to treatment for it. She learned a lot of other people's stories Mm -hmm. and she put them together um, and called it Miramage Arts and, and toured the play and had no understanding of how to actually run a business. She just knew that she wanted to do the yeah, thing and she, she wanted had to bring the, the healing mm-hmm. to a lot of other people. So when I joined as an actor, like that's literally all I was going to be, but I knew enough about theater and I knew enough about business that every once in a while, like when she was struggling with a decision or if she just happened to be in the car and was venting with me <laughs> and I just happened to be in there, I'd just be like, you know, something you should maybe think about or like I'll slide like an email across her desk yeah. and just say like, here's a couple of things that you might want to try. And she just kept trying them. Um, and she started realizing that I was at the very least a soundboard Mm -hmm. um but most definitely uh i became somebody who was uh able to help her with the business but even then i still didn't know what i meant to her like i still didn't know what i meant to her she Mm -hmm. was just utilizing my know-how and i was fine with being an actor and Mm -hmm. um and doing that but ultimately one day she came back to me and she was like you know you really have like a a great business sense do you want to do something like uh I, i don't know um manage the cast I mean what would you call that (laughs) like she's literally like working through it in her head and I said well you could just call it something as simple as a cast manager and Mm -hmm. I'd be happy I accept yeah so I took that role and did that while also acting it was very very Mm part-time um but we were touring at the time so she really needed help with coordination of that um still stayed at Starbucks all during this time um and tried to live a dual life and it was really weird and it became very 
disastrous and hard <laughs> towards the end, but also sure. cata- like catalytic. Like yeah. it, it was what I needed Something in order to, to change totally in order to make that shift and jump mm-hmm. off that cliff finally. Um, so after I became a cast manager, then at one point things were kind of going along pretty smoothly. Like she had enough funding and, um, she asked me to become the artistic director. Um, she really wanted somebody to keep an eye on the artistic value and she mm-hmm. needed to kind of like move over to the business side because the business was growing and it needed some real focus. And then one day out of the blue, she called me and said that she had lost all the funding um, and she was in a total panic. And I was like, what do you mean you lost all the funding? And she just said, well, the the one person, the other, the one other funder who was backing us um, could no longer do it. And when they dropped, my family foundation could no longer uh, fund us solely or be the sole funder. And I have not been able to get enough other individual contributors to keep this running. Um, and she's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't want to let it go. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, but I can't do it anymore. And I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, um, now what? And then she was just like, I don't know. I just need to tell you that. And I was like, okay, I understand. Like these things happen, you know? I mean, there's some statistics out there that say like nonprofits, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of them. And then mm-hmm. a lot of them just never make it out of the idea stage or mm-hmm. the startup phase. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like left it at that, um, thinking we were done. And it was sad. Like, I, I didn't think, I, I didn't realize how sad that was for me until mm-hmm. after I got off the phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, she called me two days later and she said, um, so I've been thinking a lot about what you and I were talking about. And uh, I know that my life is moving on. And I know that the organization cannot go in the mm-hmm. same direction that my life is moving on to. And I need to let it go. But I don't want to let it go. Do you want it? <laughs> and I, was, <laughs> like I said, do I want what? I mean, I was literally <laughs> totally ignorant. Do I what do I want? What are you asking me? <laughs> do you mean the nonprofit? Who does that? Who gives people a person a nonprofit? <laughs> there you go. Um, I I think I don't even remember my second question that I asked her. Um, I just said, I, I'm I'm literally overwhelmed by that question. I think I was even on the train coming back from my work day on Starbucks. I was like, like, this is not the, I can't tell you anything except that I can tell you that I think you just changed my life forever. I need time to think about it. Um, and I got off the phone, called my husband right away, who's always been my centering soul. And yeah. he just said, like, I'm with you and whatever you decide, but I also know you and I know that you wouldn't be telling me this if you didn't think that this was important to you. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I don't know how to run a nonprofit. I, did, I haven't done nonprofit. That's not what I do. And he goes, <laughs> but you know people and you know the business and you know mm-hmm. a business. I mean, you don't just know, like, you know, the business of theater and you know how to run a business. So surely like you can do something with that. Yeah. And Aaron believes that you can do something with that. Mm-hmm. And so two weeks later, I called her and I accept. And I've been on this journey ever since. <laughs> it's so crazy. And it's been like, that was 2012. Mm-hmm. And then we we did put the organization in stasis. So we've only been doing our work since 2013, this mm-hmm. new version of the work. But right. And and it has, and I said this earlier, but it has transformed me. It's even transformed the things that I value now or the things that I'm way more clear on. It's transformed me and what I really want out of life, out of this life. Um, That's so crazy. It, these are things that I may not have come to any conclusion around if I hadn't so, been yes. forced to that level of awareness. So crazy. Um, so it's been a pretty expansive experience. I and love a very, it. I'll just add one more, a very uncomfortable experience. <laughs> right? We grow in discomfort, right? We do. And it's been about six years of discomfort in like a good way. I mean, I'm I'm actually quite grateful that you can Google it. 
because that's literally that was my uh, grad school education in nonprofit management. It was I would just Google it and then I would ask for the advice of like all these people that had run businesses. I in love nonprofit. it. I love it so much. Um, so you started. So you did the dual businesses. Yeah, you did the corporate world and marriage image arts. Yeah. When did you go full time? So that was in. I didn't do that until October of 2015. So I actually was the executive director of this whatever it was at the time, <laughs> uh, organization. And it, it was so interesting because, mm-hmm. um, this is the dual personality that I tell you that I was leading. Um, even though Starbucks was so expansive and so capable of looking at everybody, no matter what role you had in the organization mm-hmm. and saying like, you're worth, you, you can do anything that you want. Mm-hmm. There was still, there was the role that I was in had a certain track. Mm-hmm. And I was doing all of this really amazing stuff and learning all this really cool thing and like literally having an experiential grad school experience that I wasn't being able to bring to the table at Starbucks. Part of it was because of me. And then the other part of it was because people didn't see or hear that that's how I was growing and changing. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, the job, the reason why I was literally dying, it wasn't even just because of the tasks, which Mm -hmm. was part of it. Like it was a lot of work to manage executive director role. And then also the world, mm-hmm. the, the five states that I was helping mm-hmm. manage. But it was becoming significantly more difficult that I was this person and growing into this person. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't able to be this person right. in this world. Kind of they were so places. separate. Um, and I was literally, I was literally having like a mind melt. Mm-hmm. I understand. And then I finally made the decision in 2015 before going. That's awesome. Down a path that was not like retrievable. <laughs> That's so crazy. And, you know, it's the jump, it's the leap. It is. And it felt, and it still feels like that. I don't know if you could hear that. I'm like, whoa, I still feel like what it took to make that leap um, because it didn't have any money. I mean, like at that time, we had raised, I think, $18,000 to start mm-hmm. um, to just take the leap. And there were times where we ran out of money. And there were times where I'm like, Okay, my livelihood also <laughs> depends on every decision and choice that I make. That's a little I get it. Rough. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, yeah. So I would say that that was a little bit of the struggle earlier on too, is just how do I make this choice and support the family that I've created and and yeah. believe in the universe and believe that it's got my back and that's so great. That the people that I've surrounded myself with have my back. And they did. Like they do. Yeah. That's so awesome. Well, because Maya so Maya was on the podcast yeah. not too long ago and she's just She's amazing. Pretty inspirational. She is. I actually was having the crappiest day when she came here. And when she came, like, I was like, I don't even know if I'm on a podcast today. Uh, like, I was just like super just, I was just low energy that day. And yeah. she walks in the door and I'm just like, that's it. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Like, she just like breathes life into yeah. like, into me, into like the space. It was just, it was really, really cool. She's just like an energy change. Yeah. Um, she and there's that for her kids all the time too. There's not very many people who can do that, yeah. like consistently. Like, yeah. I know I can do that. But it takes my energy to do that, right? Yeah. But Maya just is like, it's just yeah. the way she is. Yeah. So did awesome. you tell her that that day? I did. I okay. was like, I was just so happy you were here today. Like, I needed yeah. her that yeah. day. It was so awesome. So what, you know, what are the big pieces you've brought um, from your background in corporate to the nonprofit sector? So I would say that in the nonprofit management, I think, is trending in this direction nationally, or I I don't know much about the international business, so I can really only talk about the trends of the Mm -hmm. national. There's been a time where at some point nonprofit was all about the idea and was all about the love and the passion Mm -hmm. that you had, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't necessarily about growing a business. You're literally growing a business. Mm -hmm. And I came in with a permission to say, like, we're going to have to make some business decisions. It's not just about what I love. It's not just about what I have a passion about. If we're going to truly serve these kids, then we need to create a sustainable business that can transform along with 
what what relationships we're creating with mm-hmm. them. Um, so if we don't do that, then we won't survive. And for me, the most important thing to do was to be there with those kids um, and to do the work that we get to do. Um, so I just I didn't come in with that that preconceived idea that a nonprofit doesn't make any money, okay. doesn't um, come from a place of abundance. Mm-hmm. It's always like whatever everybody else is telling you you're supposed to do or how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like those are all the things that you're that you just need to go and do. Mm-hmm. Like um, you don't don't have any idea. That's not how it works, you know, mm-hmm. or if you have the idea, then um, you don't need the business um, to back that idea up. So it's just like it's a really confusing world. And the funding because you're constantly chasing funding. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a core identity, if you don't know what you want your business to do, then you end up changing it mm-hmm. for people. Um, and that's never good because then you don't know who you are mm-hmm. anymore. And then you're writing all these other proposals. And by the time you're done with the 50th one, you go, oh, that didn't help me grow my business. That helped me destroy it. Like that yeah. helped me not have any clue what's happening in or around me or what we were actually accomplishing or trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and setting out to do. So, um, that's number one. Number two is just my, um, people development skills that I got from them. They're like, I told you theater really drives my motivation, mm-hmm. um, behind that's that curiosity piece. Like I, I just am so curious about people's motivations, about what drives them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that peace helps because when you're working with people, it's never about what they're saying. It's very rarely about what they're saying. It's always underneath what they're saying. So I come with that specific interest and then add all of the like professional people development skills, practices, activities, policies. Like I came in with all of that, Mm -hmm. that doesn't require that they weren't specific to Starbucks. They were specific to people. So you can do that in any business that you have. I love it. And I love that you know, because you're right. A lot of people like have the vision of a nonprofit or they think of a nonprofit and it's like the nonprofit doesn't make money. Well, how does it do things then? Like we can't just, you know, trade time for nothing. Yep. You know? Yeah. One of the things, can I just add this one piece? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that like kills me is that, and I, and it's, I know that there are some people who are going to disagree with this statement, Mm -hmm. but it's important to say that in some ways in the nonprofit management space, we get really excited about saying we're an all volunteer led organization. And I'm like, that's really, that's not sustainable for one, all volunteer led to not even have someone who's being paid to, to manifest future, to organize current state. Like that's really unfair for the people involved in that. But Mm -hmm. even then, maybe you do get it to work for a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful in what you're saying, because you're also saying that that, that you should do, everybody should do work that's in the nonprofit arena for free, Mm -hmm. but that's people's livelihood. That's people's job. They deserve to be able to make that their job. We are doing some incredible work for communities that we serve Mm -hmm. that uh, corporations can't touch. You have value. And we do have value and we should be paid that value. So that's the only, like sometimes this I just is why get you, an argument this is or why dialogue. You and, this is why you and I should be best friends. Because yes. I, I talk about value all the time and paying people. And like, you know, this the idea that everything should be volunteer run is a disaster. It's, it's, it becomes a it's disaster. A it's a myth. It so we're just work. perpetuating a myth. Um, and I know that there are organizations that think that they're successful at that. And that's mm-hmm. okay. That's for you. Mm-hmm. But you have to be careful in the way that you word it. Like everybody else doesn't have value because they're not all volunteer run. Right. Um, 
So that's just one other thing that I, that's the other thing I brought in, I think from Starbucks is that we worked really hard and went to conversation a lot together, even if it was heated or hot, mm-hmm. um, talking about the value of people and how with the money that you have, how do you pay the people the value that they're worth? So important. So and then, important. And then if you don't always have money available, then how are you creating other opportunities that make people feel value? Because it's not just the money, but it's also right. about opportunity. It's about their personal value, like it's their personal community. motivations, community. Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into that, but money is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our church runs um, pretty much all in volunteering. I think I told you this. Um, and it's a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> people don't show up. Because they, they, there's no value. Yeah. You know, like if you're not going to pay people, you have to, you have to, you know, you have to let them know they're valued in other ways. Yep. Right. And if that's not happening and that doesn't just happen through swag. No, no. (laughs) Swag. I love that you use that word. You might have hit on the pain point for me. (laughs) You know, like you can't just pay people in swag. Yeah. You know, bring volunteers in and we'll give you more swag. I don't need any more swag. Yeah. I need you to take care of the volunteers I'm actually going to bring in. Yeah. Because I'm not bringing people here for you to just ask them to bring more people and give them swag. Like. (laughs) That's just, this is how turnover works. Yeah. And let me tell you, motivating people is like a full-time job. It is. Even with money, like that can be a full-time job if you take it seriously. Right. Um, So I hear it's just a disaster. It's a disaster. And finally I was like, I'm walking away from this disaster. Because you're not taking any of my suggestions. Yeah. That's another thing people do. They like to know that they offer value by being able to have suggestions and have people take advantage of those suggestions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, especially us type A's who are just like, look, <laughs> or as people who know like how business works or like how to like get people to do things. Yeah. It's like, I've told you how to fix this. Yeah. But we're going to just for people's swag instead. <laughs> okay. Good luck with that. Bye. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what have been the greatest obstacles in ter- turning mirror image arts into a thriving nonprofit? Oh, I like that you said thriving. Thank you. <laughs> it is. We do. Yeah, I think we're I mean, right on the non-pro- edge. For a nonprofit, it's thriving. I was actually just telling my staff, I just got out of a staff meeting and I just said, uh, I think one of the questions I asked them was something around, um, what's the mindset that you want to have going into the end of this fiscal year? We literally only have one month left mm-hmm. of this fiscal year. And mine I ended up sharing was about when you take an organization from literally, I always like to say it, and I've shared this with Aaron, so I can do this a lot. $200 in the bank account, a jumbled up file cabinet, mm-hmm. and a computer that the founder cannot remember the password for. <laughs> that has literally all the documents of the organization in it. Um, you get, you, for, you forget how far you've come. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, the survival is so, like it's just inside of every cell of your body. And okay. you, f- you forget to take stock, even if you take stock of where you're at and you know that, I mean, we are so much further than the $200 in the bank account and the jumbled up file cabinet. But I still sometimes live and make decisions Based on as that. if I still feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nonprofit can do that to you. It can, yeah, when so. you're constantly chasing money like that too, and you never feel like you have enough, it can very easily switch over to that scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. So I, my mindset that I really wanted to shift to was to be like the river. Like we've got a lot coming at us and they're all such good things. And I don't want to stress out about any of those good things. Mm-hmm. We've worked hard ass off to get to that absolutely point so i want to be happy and excited about those amazing Mm -hmm. things um so that's one thing i need to shift my mindset as a leader um and you're gonna have to remind me of the question because i like that that was a big question for me 
Um, well, it was about the greatest obstacles. So that's one of them. If mindset, I, is, mindset is always a, a huge obstacle. Yeah. And as a leader of the organization, I also set that tone. So yeah. even if no one follows suit, because a mindset is very specific to you, mm-hmm. um, but you still have to set the tone that a mindset shift needs to switch because it's also not sustainable to keep thinking that we can do uh, I always have this saying, like, what got us here is not going to get us there. Mm-hmm. So as long as we keep the mindset of what got us here, mm-hmm. then we're not going to get where we want to go. Yeah. Um, so we need to shift that. So that's the biggest obstacle. And then I would say another obstacle is we have the opportunity to grow really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so saying no is becoming a pretty significant saying no that only focuses you towards the opportunities that you've already said yes to Mm -hmm. because you can, again, the mindset that you used to have, you take on everything because you're just so happy that people want you. (laughs) And now you get to be a little bit more selective. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like we have these really awesome projects that are coming down the pipeline that look fabulous. So how do we really situate and focus on those things that are so right for the mission, so right for the expansion goals that we had, Mm -hmm. while not getting cluttered down by some of the other sort of extracurricular things that we could possibly be doing Mm -hmm. that can only just stress us out probably in the end instead of focus us. And then the last thing is for those projects that we really want to focus on, how do we get the right people Mm -hmm. on on the train with us? Um, That's that's just, you, you can... Uh, for me, like you can keep, you can keep beating your head up against the brick wall if you don't have the right people mm-hmm. that are, that are at 100% in alignment with your values and your, um, your organizational culture. Mm-hmm. You can like try hard to make it fit, mm-hmm. but if it doesn't fit, then everybody's just bloody in the end. So it's about picking the people at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Like not making it hard for you, but also not making it um, significantly difficult and, and potentially like devaluing to Mm -hmm. them. Like, that's the thing that I'm always concerned about. How do you pick the right people? Because the experience you're about to put them on could actually end up making them feel bad about themselves. And that's not, that's not what the goal was. The goal was to have them come on this really awesome trip. Um, but if they're not in alignment and not capable of doing some of the things, then you chose poorly, not them. So, um, there's a saying that's, uh, slow to hire, quick to fire. Yeah. Cause you gotta get, gotta get people off the train to get more people on. Yeah. And it's, if it, exactly. If it lasts too long, then people, everybody's so angsty, angsty. <laughs> yeah. And then you're just, yeah, you have to, you, then you're, you're like, you have to carry your team that, that is doing the work through it mm-hmm. and, and get, build that trust back up again. But then mm-hmm. also, like I said, that one person who never deserved to feel devalued because somewhere else they might be amazing. hundred percent amazing at, yeah. um, it just matters that culture and value yeah. really matters. Um, so, I mean, as a small business owner, like hiring people and firing people is like the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, and my first hire, like my very first hire, like it ended poor, like horribly. I think we all have those stories. Um, and I don't like initially I felt really bad about it, but I was like, this is not the place for you. You can be mad about it. Yeah. But you're going to be much happier somewhere else. Yeah. Like I know that I'm freeing you up to do something else yeah um and that's just the abundant mindset like yeah something that makes me think of a lot of organizations that i've seen specifically in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. who really struggle with that notion mm-hmm. um they're like but we're a compassionate organization and i think about the other side of that coin and i'm like how compassionate are you being to that person right. who literally you could let them go you could free them mm-hmm. um 
even though they can't do that for themselves, you could do that. Mm -hmm. And then they can go on to find their value and their purpose. So in yeah. the meantime, you're all just stuck together. <laughs> that sounds really compassionate. I think that sounds <laughs> passive aggressive. You it know, like let's call it, aggressive. let's call it what it is. Mm -hmm. And no matter what, it's really difficult to look somebody in the and eye that's and say it's not working. Right? Yeah. Leadership says, I'm freeing you up to do something else. Yeah. And that you do, you do have value. It's not that yeah. this is the end for you. But yeah. Yeah. It's just, this isn't the place. Yeah. So don't call it compassion. That's all I say. I <laughs> love it. Um, so what have been some of the greatest successes? Oh, the people. I mean, like when you said Maya, I mean, we've got some pretty, like, that's just one, that's mm -hmm. one. And she's a pretty significant part of our team. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've got some amazing people on our team. Um, being able to, being able to fund this thing, that's a hard so hard, hard job. And it's really hard when you talk about bringing the right people um, with you, um, when you're constantly only focused on having enough money to pay them. It's mm -hmm. like this really weird imbalanced. It's hard to say, wait, if I take if I take my eye off of that one just for a second, right. it is going to keep going. Matter of fact, if I can focus more on my people right now, mm -hmm. then the funders are going to know what they're investing in. Right. Um, and there's just going to be zero question. But you're like, really? right, but I have it's to like pay people. I know. It's so such a balance. So I would say successfully, we have been able to get enough money in the bank to be able to pay for three full-time people wow. and four part-time um, and working on continuing to grow those roles. So that's success number one. I would say success number two is the problem solving and the continuous improvement that we have. Um, mm -hmm. We have this culture um not only the culture of curiosity that mm -hmm. I shared earlier, but also freedom to fail because inside of failure, you not only learn, like that's where we learn as humans, mm -hmm. but the other part is you also like take risks, you take bigger risks so you can actually get further. Mm -hmm. You can achieve more mm -hmm. than you thought you could ever achieve just by being uncomfortable for that moment. Um, so we've, we've been able to create that in an organizational culture because mm -hmm. I think sometimes people want that for themselves, mm -hmm. but then they go and they participate in a, in an organization and you're like, okay, I know you guys keep saying that it's a culture of freedom to fail mm -hmm. and I know you're feeling good about their failures. <laughs> like everything built along the way, mm -hmm. it, like you go into a staff meeting and you're getting called out or you go to, I don't know, um, you, you get an email from your boss that's mm -hmm. like the boss is kind of freaking out about something that you did or didn't do. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of ways that we erode that culture mm -hmm. um, organizationally that even as an individual, if that's what you're saying that you're going to give them, the individual mm -hmm. knows the truth. Mm -hmm. um, and we've worked really hard. It turns out it's really hard to do. It but we've worked really, really hard, hard to, to try to accomplish that for our people. And by and large, um, our, our people are saying that that's actually what's happening. Not only do I feel that way as, an, as a leader, but... Mm -hmm. Um, nobody expects you to be perfect. Nobody expects you to be perfect. That's awesome. And man, you still expect that from yourself. Like, <laughs> I, like even coming over here, like there are times where you're just like, they're not going to accept that failure, but that failure, if I don't show them that that's okay, mm -hmm. then I could never expect that from them. Yeah. So I've got, I've got to show this one to them. Like sometimes you're like, as a leader of the organization, you don't have to, Yeah. you don't have to show that. Like pretend not, like it's not a you thing. You sure could. Yeah. Because you're the only one with that information. But I'm like, I got to show that one to them. Yeah. It's purposeful and it's it's meaningful to me to be able to admit that. Mm -hmm. It'll be difficult, but it's meaningful for me. And then it's meaningful them, for them to see. Um, so those, I would say, are the top two. Mm -hmm. I think I just named two. That's fine. That's cool. I like it. So what are some of the current programs that Mirror Image Arts is running? And yeah. what, are their, what are their impact? Yeah. So uh, I, I might... They all kind of have 
the same impact because mm-hmm. we're working towards the the same goal for all of them, which I'm happy to be able to say that. That might have been another it. success. I like love, you, that's a huge success. Yeah, you spread to too many programs and all of a sudden you're like, wait, what are we trying to do here? Um, so we have three, four, four programs. Um, the only reason why I forgot that fourth one is because it's becoming a bigger deal for us. Uh-huh. So um, we primarily work with young people. Um, I know Maya shared that, but mm-hmm. just to repeat it, we work with young people between the ages of fourth grade all the way through uh, around 21, 22, mm-hmm. sometimes 23. Um, it just depends on which program they're interfacing mm-hmm. with us in. One of them is in um, school time. So um, in school and after school time. So we'll do residencies inside of schools during the school day. And then we work with uh, after school organizations when kids have to go somewhere because they can't go home right away. So they mm-hmm. just need another place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also work at well, that first program is called Your Voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we do a program called It Starts With Us that works in rec centers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do a program inside of the Juvenile Justice mm-hmm. That's Maya's program. Detention Center, which mm-hmm. is Maya's program called Restorative Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so all three of those programs are doing, I think I can narrow them down to two things. Mm-hmm. So one of them is an input. The input is our young people, there, there are data and statistics that are showing that our young people these days have less and less people that they can depend on, mm-hmm. that they feel like they can depend on, right? It's all about yeah their their perception. understanding, their perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think during our time, I'm, I'm putting us in the, stage, the same age range. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. Yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> during our time, I think the statistics said something like um, three to five. Like mm-hmm. we had like good, solid people that we could depend on that were adults, that mm-hmm. we could trust, that would do what they said that they were going to do, mm-hmm. um, and that we could go to them for things. Yeah. Now there's zero to one is what the statistics are showing. So in in a world where we are more connected than ever um, through social media, through technology, mm-hmm. through, I mean, you can pick up your phone and you can, you can do a video call mm-hmm. with somebody. Our young people are saying that they can only trust about zero to one people um, in their lives that they would actually call a trusted adult. That's so crazy. that's the main component of what we're putting into this organization is we are creating um, and driving in an, in an interaction between an adult mm-hmm. and a young person that feels lasting. It feels like they have somebody that they can depend on because mm-hmm. they are going through a lot. Stuff. Like I think about the things that I went through as a young person and I had trouble. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I, that was before social media. I mean, I think MySpace came out when I was in college. Yeah. The things that they are, that, that are part of their youth development that were already going to happen. Like I, I use this example. Mm-hmm. I was always going to compare myself. That's just what happens at a certain part of your youth developmental mm-hmm. stage, generally in middle school. Right. Back to when, <laughs> oh what God, makes middle go. school hard <laughs> is that you, you're, you're finally going to, well, I just want to fit in. I want to belong to something. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm willing to do that whatever brain it takes. development time where it's just like, you're, you know, kind of go look, look around like, how am I different? Yeah. How am I the same? And you don't quite know who you are yet because you haven't quite formed it yet. Yeah. But you want to, but you haven't. Mm-hmm. And then put them inside of social media, like put them like I compared myself to people all the time, but my scope of people was like 20 at most. And now you have every single day status updates from like, how many friends do we have? Mm-hmm. Um, if you really wanted to go deep and long, like 600, 700, I'm sure there are some youth have more. Um, so that's that's their comparison now is that many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so anxiety, depression, um, these these statistics are really raising high and all that they want sometimes is just to be able to talk to somebody and to be heard. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing as an output. We are creating a space where young people feel heard and they feel awesome. like they can say what they need to say and to process through it 
And then once you can process through what's happening for you and you can build confidence in your own self, mm -hmm. then you can stand up for others. You can stand up for yourself, but then you can also stand up for others, so but crazy. it can't happen before that. So we're creating a space that is allowing for that to happen. And we talk about empathy and we talk about connection all the time, but we don't ever talk about what it takes to actually create that for somebody. Or to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, empathy is the ultimate outcome. Like we are literally trying to create a world where young people aren't like looking around, figuring out who they can take down, mm -hmm. but instead they're looking around and saying, you know, that person might have a differing point of view from me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna enter into dialogue with them because I have an empathy yeah. for their experience. I understand that how I got here is because of my experience, how they got there is because of their experience. And we can sit there and we can talk about it and we don't That's have so to agree. Cool. But they don't they don't learn that in school. That's not something that our teachers are working desperately hard just to fulfill their academic requirements, right. much less their social emotional. Um, requirements. So we're coming in and doing those social emotional pieces, but then more importantly, we're creating a space where young people um, don't can move past their feeling of being devalued. Mm -hmm. And society def definitely doesn't help with that. Like, no. We're not helping them out. Well, and it doesn't help that social media is the highlight reel. Yeah. Even I have to, I mean, like I have a lot of capabilities to put boundaries in place and I still struggle with that one. I'm like, you're going to close your phone right now because you're starting to feel weird. Yeah. Define weird. <laughs> uh, I'm getting like, all of a sudden I feel like my life's going nowhere. That's not true. Yeah. So exactly. it's just interesting. Like, but we have uh, some of us, <laughs> some adults have the capability to do some of that, but we haven't necessarily given our well, young people those same. Well, most adults don't have that though either. That's true. Yeah, because they were a young person once, too. Yeah. That's what my husband always reminds me of, too. I'm like, that's a good reminder. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and ultimately, this is what I'm the most proud of mm -hmm. for the organization. Um, Aaron had a vision. And I actually, I very much accept and own this vision and have finally come to know that it's part of my story, too. She, mm -hmm. didn't, she said it. She put it in words. Mm -hmm. But it's what I always wanted and what I think my purpose was going to be. We just wanted to be the adults that young people needed, that so. I needed when I was young, that I didn't have, um, and that she needed when she was young mm -hmm. and didn't have. Um, and it can be a variety of different people. Yeah, totally. But it just needs to be there. Yeah. I And it's so, so crazy because I ask my kids all the time, you know, if something happens or if there's something you need to talk to, who are those people? Yes, that's such a great question. Like, I ask them that all the time. Do like, they have people? Yeah. And I'm like, who do you who do you have that you can go to with anything? And they're always just like, well, you, mom, because I'm a complete open book about all the things. Um, maybe a little bit too much sometimes, but I think transparency with our young people, I'll honor that I'm every day. Totally transparent. They deserve, yeah. um, you know, and they just, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, how about this person? They're like, maybe, you know, and I'm like, well, what about this person at school? Oh yeah, we can talk to the counselors or like, yeah, whatever. Like just making sure that they're. Like that's such a great question. Fostering, you know, these connections with people that they can go to. Yeah. And it's admitting that you need a tribe too. Like I think yeah, about my totally. right now, my 19 month old really needs me one day. Much to my chagrin, probably <laughs> like they're not going to. But that's the whole point. Like they're not going to need me as much mm -hmm. because we built a community around them that they can go to. And sometimes coming to your parent can be hard, specifically yeah. in those latter yeah. high school years. Totally so um, by asking that question now makes them think about that they should. Yeah. And nothing else around them may be telling them that they should. Like part of the one thing, uh, part of the reason I think maybe that statistic is really low now is mm -hmm. because nobody's telling them that they should have mm -hmm. a person that they can trust. Yeah. Um, to go to and talk about these things. And it's not always their friends. I mean, come on, like we're friends, not friends, like multiple times through right. um, middle school and high school too. Well, and their friends don't always have the best info. No. <laughs> no. 
No. I was just talking to my daughter about that the other day. I was like, come to mommy with those questions because I'm going to give you the actual answer. Yeah. And you also don't want to turn them over to the internet either. I mean, great no. tool, great tool, no. but not very discerning, you know? No. Um, so. Yeah. And then I want them to be able to be like, okay, that's enough information for right now. Like, and I'll be like, okay, cool. Come back when you have more questions. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the kids, like, I think that, that they're so, I'll share one other that shows the more specific impact. Mm -hmm. um, and this has to do with Maya's program. Yeah. Um, so youth that are in the juvenile detention center, um, one of the young people that we work with literally said recently, I'm just so glad that you see me not for what I did, mm -hmm. but for who I am. Yes, we are a series of choices but we are still who we are and it's hard to separate the two, yeah, but the sometimes. more you understand who you are, then the more effective your choices can become. So cool. But if you always feel like you're just this thing that you did, like we work with people who do, um, we work with bullying inside mm -hmm. of our in-school um, workshops. Mm -hmm. And if we constantly are saying to all the young people, listen, you don't call them bullies because that's basically labeling that person. That is a choice that they are making. That is a person who is doing bullying. And that is a person who is being bullied. We also don't want to label them as a victim because in some ways we are saying that that is what you are, yeah, um, that you will never be able to make choices mm -hmm. outside of being a victim. Now, there are a lot of different things that society and that adults need to do to support you mm -hmm. inside of both those spaces. Mm -hmm. But how do you think of you as you? Yeah, who are you? Separate from what's happening to you or what you're doing to other people. Yeah. That's so important. Wow. I'm going to be a better parent walking away from here. <laughs> <laughs> you already cleared the path. And oh, it's brilliant. Oh, that man. question is so good. I just, can you say that question one more time? I want yeah, everybody to I hear mean, it. I ask my kids, um, you know, who, who can you go to? Yeah. You know, who are your people? Yeah. Um, if something happens or if there's something you need to talk about, who do you have? That's so good. You know, what, you know, who's going to give take you. that one with me too. Yeah. You know, who do you trust? Who's going to give you straight answer? You know, who do you trust? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't have to be me. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with that. But I want them to have at yeah. least two or three people. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, sometimes I kind of walk them through, well, what about your teacher? Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to say yes to my, you know, yes to my question. But just giving you some ideas. But I'm just giving you, just kind of walking through some of the ideas. Yeah. Um, after the last shooting, my daughter was having a really hard time. Yeah. Um, and I emailed her teacher. And I was like, is a counselor around? Because we have counselors in our schools. Um, thankfully, we yeah, were able to yeah, have that's counselors. Not the story, yeah. yeah. Um, and so my daughter got to go sit down with the counselor and she wow. walked her around the school and they talked about security measures and like they did the thing, but now my daughter knows this person. I mean, she probably already like knew who she was, but she yeah, never but like she's connected. She now. never had a conversation with her. So within like my daughter having a hard time with that whole thing, she was able to make another connection. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, well, here's some resources. And I'm like, that's great. But I wanted her to make another connection in the school with yeah. somebody she trusts that she can ask questions of yeah. because I don't know the answers to a lot of this yeah. stuff. It's certainly not something we went through. Yeah. And I'm her. scared. Yeah. Right. So I'm scared for her. Yeah. So to have somebody that's a third party, that is a safe place for her to ask questions. That's that can't be bad. Yeah. No. No. It can't no. be bad. The more connections, the better. It can be very good. Yeah. yeah. And, and then she came home that day after she went to the counselor and she felt so much better. And I was like, okay, good. You yep. feel better. That's, yep. in, that's important. Yep. I'm still a little terrified. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, the amount of no control that we yeah, have. Yeah. Yeah. And because as a parent, I think too, like we have emotional responses to how they feel about yep. things, you know, so you that help it. those third parties that don't, that aren't really emotionally involved as much yeah it's really really important for them, them to have those yeah so yeah so i just ask them 
That's awesome. Who are your people? That's awesome. Who would you ask? Ask that you know? everyone. Yeah. Who are your people? Yeah. Who are your people? Yeah. And I think that's really important even in business. Who are yeah. your people? Who are your mentors? Who are the people you trust to give you a straight answer? Who yeah. are those people? Yeah. Because we And it's all okay to be them. external too. You know, yeah, like that person to, to give you a better perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, the most important thing in business is outside eyes. Yeah. Who are your people? Yeah. Yeah. I even think about all the advice like the, that I sought at the very beginning of this journey, mm -hmm. they were all outside of the organization. I was just, and they had so many different journeys to share. Yeah. Like I felt, and what was so great about that. And this is the point you're making mm -hmm. that when I went to make those decisions, I felt so connected. Like not only was it connected to the data that they gave me, but mm -hmm. I could call them and say, I'm about to make a really rough decision. Yeah. Can you just give me the words of affirmation that I need right now? <laughs> or tell me like, this is terrible. Don't yeah. do it. But I could still trust them. So even inside of the daily decision-making, I felt supported. Yeah. Even if they weren't there. It's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important to have those communities. That's all right. I love it. So before I ask my last question, my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you and Mirror Image Arts? Me personally or Mirror Image Arts? Either. Okay, perfect. So mirrorimagearts.org. Okay. Check us out. We actually have a website that's part of what's stressing me out lately. We have a new <laughs> website that's going to be relaunching. Um, so hopefully in about you know a month, I think in the middle of June, we're going to be able to accomplish okay. that. And then um, my um, email can actually be found on our current website under staff. Mm -hmm. It's probably the easiest way. It's okay, just cool. linked. All right. But it's also my first initial mm -hmm. of my first name, dot, and then my last name, Rabel. Awesome. And we'll, we link everything in the description okay. box. Okay. So you do People will. Please do check us out. Like, um, if you've got a connection to a school that you want to make, or mm -hmm. um, you know, if you just want to learn more about what we're doing, please reach out. Yeah, and to grow that juvenile facility stuff. Yes, that if you have help there. Yeah, I'm sure they would be grateful. Yep. So, final question: uh, What is one piece of advice you would give someone starting or wanting to start a nonprofit? I think reach out to people. Um, that's my first, like I, I needed a barometer. I mm -hmm. needed some place to start. Mm -hmm. um, find your people, find your tribe. I love how that's just been built throughout this whole yeah. podcast. Today. <laughs> Started that that's why I got into theater. I needed my tribe. All right. Um, so find your people that you like that are different parts of the business. Don't be worried about only finding people that are in your current stage of the business. Yeah. Like you need to be able to look forward a little bit. Um, down the line and then maybe even a little bit back to to see what people's reflections are um, the second one get nonprofit life cycles uh, that is my nonprofit management bible if you will <laughs> it's got is everything it a it's a yes it's a book if you can link that actually yeah, that would be awesome yep, we do that it just takes you through everything that could possibly end up happening to your organization in every different life cycle mm -hmm. that you're in mm -hmm. um, and by and large, it always ends up being right. Even though your context part might be different, it always ends up being right. That's so cool. Uh, and it just grounds you and gives you something to understand or look forward to or also go, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not there yet. That's terrible. <laughs> that sounds awful. Um, I'm not ready. <laughs> and then lastly, um, uh, if you want, you can also talk to me, but um, believe in yourself. Like there's a lot of times that it feels really challenging um that's every business owner totally so just the, yeah <laughs> you go and up and down so high yeah I, mean, I have never been a part of some highs and lows like I've been a part of yes I could literally think we're on top of the world next day I think we're going to close like it is <laughs> that's hard. It hard so I would say believe in yourself and take care of yourself mm -hmm. because the business is going to be there 
or not. Yeah. And that's okay, but it's you so need important. to be here. So, so you need to take care of yourself. Um, because the business, it, it sort of takes over sometimes. I'm in the center of that right now. Yeah. It takes over. I get it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast to be inspiring, helpful, and entertaining, please like and subscribe. This helps us grow the community and reach more people. If you're interested in learning more about this episode's guest or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. Until next time, be abundant.